is returning from his vacation with his family, spending Thanksgiving with them. I hope he had some rest. So you're stuck with me. Um, hopefully he doesn't uh, uh, come in and he's so tired that he says, okay, now I can get some rest. Yeah. So let's, uh, if you have your Bible, we're going to get into the book of Nehemiah. He really uh, ministered to me, this guy. And for a long time, I kind of stayed away from this book because I really didn't know who Nehemiah was or what he did. And uh, he really ministered to me. So <clears throat> let's pray as we get into his word. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for your word and, Lord, for your teaching through your word. Lord, that you speak to us. And Father, we thank you for the example of this man, Nehemiah, and Lord, just what he did, what you had put into his heart. <clears throat> and so, Lord, we just pray, God, that uh, as the spark is lit in our hearts, Lord, that we would act upon it as well. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you found Nehemiah, it's before Esther, which is before Job, which is before Psalms and Proverbs. We're going to jump around a little bit, but in chapter 1... Where we'll get started there. I want to read a quote to you from Alan Redpath. He said, if you, if you look up into his face and say, yes, Lord, whatever it costs. At that moment, he'll flood your life with his presence and power. And that's kind of what Nehemiah did here. He he had something in his heart and it got lit up. Something was in there and God saw it and God used it and said, I could use this guy right here. Here's somebody that I could use. Chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, which was a palace, by the way, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. I'll stop right there for now. Um, Here's this guy, Nehemiah. His friends and his brother comes back from visiting Jerusalem. And this is after the captivity, after the Babylonian captivity. And so he is concerned about the people who are living down there. Now, Nehemiah, at this point in his life, he's most likely born in captivity. He's never been to Jerusalem. He's, 
He's Hebrew, he's Jewish, and he has a concern for his people. And this is something in his heart. You could see clearly, he says, I asked concerning the Jews. He didn't say, hey, you guys got back from Jerusalem, what do you got for me? You know, or, uh, you know, sometimes people will take a trip and they, they bring back presents or something, you know, they bring back something for you. He wasn't concerned about any of that. He was concerned about the people and what was going on down there. <clears throat> and he begins to tell them. Um, when we make ourselves available to serve, like here at church, it's because the Lord has put it in our hearts. And uh, with me, it was something that was very interesting because um, I kind of grew up in the church and I kind of wanted out. You know, I was uh, 15 years old and my dad was a pastor. And so I wanted nothing more but to stop going to his church. And I was, I was calling it his church. You know, it was, it was Spanish speaking and I really, really wasn't getting anything out of it. And uh, I, I didn't want to go there anymore. And in fact, I didn't even want to go altogether. And so, but my father would say, you know, you're going to church because you're in this family. And it's, it's, until you're 18, uh, you've got to go to church. And so, uh, and I know some of you say that to your kids. I know I say it to mine now. Um, so I couldn't wait until I was 18 so I could stop going to church. Oh, I couldn't take it anymore. But as you would know, I got saved when I was 17 or 16, I think it was. And God had a different plan for me. God puts things into your heart and you don't even realize it's there. Here, Nehemiah has a concern for the people. These are God's people. And here, he hasn't even met them. He's never even been there. But he has a relationship with God. And he knows God. And he loves God. And he loves God's people. And so that little spark right there was in his heart. And... God said, well, I could use this guy. Here's somebody who has a heart like mine. Because here these are God's people, and he loves his people. He loves us here at Calvary Chapel, Pasadena. He loves us. And when you serve here, and you're um, leading worship, um, when you're usher, when you're teaching the kids, When you're outside sweeping or doing something, you're serving God's people. And he loves you guys, right? That's something that is in your heart that God had put there. And that is something there that is going to grow. Uh, Church happens here every Sunday, right? And Tuesday nights, Thursday nights, the midweek Bible study. It all happens because many of you make it happen. We help and worship, like I said earlier, ushering, helping with the kids. But also, people need fellowship, right? Especially us Christians, we need fellowship. And we can provide that by, by just being here to fellowship. Fellowship with one another. Pray for each other. You know how often 
you may see people just huddled in a corner or something. They're just praying. They're praying for each other. And maybe you don't know the exact uh, difficulties they're going through or what they're praying about, but you could be blessed by that. Look at that. These people are praying for each other over here. And that's a love that they have for each other for, in fellowship. Hebrews 10.25 tells us not forsaking, right, the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, right, some people rather not come to church, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching, the day approaching. And I remember last week Tony had shared a little bit that people call regularly to find out what time the Bible study starts. The Bible study, because they don't want all, all the singing. They don't, they, don't, they don't like music, or maybe they just don't like songs that we do. I don't know. But they'd rather sit out there and wait for the Bible study to begin instead of fellowship and worship together as a family. Uh, if I may, I want to share with you a little something that happened to me. Um, and I do this, I think, because um, some of you know me, some of you don't know me. Um, I've been uh, leading worship here for many years and just serving the Lord. And uh, we, we had prayed about the different things going on in worship around here. And <clears throat> some of you know about those prayers and what they entailed and, and then what things were going on in my life. And some of you don't. But um, I've been serving in the music ministry here probably around 25 years. And, uh, well, it was before my oldest son, Adam, was born. So, And he's going to be 22 in January. So it's a long time. Mario called me into his office and he asked if I could be in charge of the music ministry. And, and this has got to be like 10 years into it. And... Uh, I remember I, um, I said, what do you want me to do? You know, because it kind of ran itself at, the, at that time. We had three different groups, and we were all different, and we kind of did our own thing. I go, what do you want me to do? And uh, he goes, well, whatever it is you're doing, just show them what you're doing. And I said, but I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> he just kind of looked at me and said, show them what you're doing. And um, really, for me, it was just a time of, well, I need to serve. I love music, so I'll serve in music. I, I just put two and two together. It wasn't this, you know, epic uh, call from God to, to do this thing. It was, okay, I can play music. I know how to play uh, guitar. I can play piano. I can sing, so... I'll just put this stuff together. They need some help, and I'll just jump in there and do that. And I remember I was in, we were having our Thursday night Bible studies at Hope Evangelical in San Gabriel. I think San Gabriel. Anyway, and we were in the basement, me and my buddy Phil, and he was showing me some songs, and we were leading the New Believers Bible study downstairs in the basement. And so I figured, okay, now I I have something to do. But there was something in my heart that said, you got to do something. Of course, you know Xavier 
he'll prompt you. You got to serve. You got to do something. Don't just sit there. But when I left my dad's church, and I was already 19 by the time that happened, um, he said, if you're going to leave, fine. Just don't sit. Just don't go and sit. Do something. And so that was in there, too, in my heart, to do something, to keep myself busy. And he, he was sneaky like that. He kind of throw me into the ministry a little bit there, being a pastor. Uh, well, we jump ahead, and years later, after years of uh, jobs in, uh, in television and post-production, um, uh, and the, the whole job market's changing, and the competition of, of the job market was we- uh, just really uh, wearing on me, and, and I find that uh, I'm still serving the Lord in ministry, and I find that it's where I love to be the most, here, in this place, in this building, serving the Lord. And so I'm constantly thinking about church. I'm constantly thinking about the people, about the worship, about the music. My heart is here in this place. Not only that, but I mean, there were other things going on in terms of worship, like getting involved in other churches. There were churches asking me to come and do worship over there. Like, oh, well, you know, we, 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 we have this Wednesday night Bible study. This guy dropped out. He can't be there. Can you come? And so I'd, I'd go, and I felt like, wow, this is a calling. It's, this is kind of happening in this way. It's kind of happening. Uh, but I'd, um, I didn't want to be chasing ministry like... Um, Like as if it was chasing a, a job. Like a minute. I wanted it to be a calling. I wanted it to be, okay, Lord, this is what you would have me to do. And especially if it's going to be ministry, uh, full-time ministry as a pastor. And uh, so I really wanted it to be that way. So, And here's where it gets kind of funny because uh, I said for years that I would never be a pastor. I kind of said, you know, my friends would tell me, hey, when are you going to be a pastor? I'm like, never. You know, you be a pastor. I'm not going to be a pastor. Um, My father being a pastor, I thought I knew what that life was about. Um, And I was very wrong. So there came a time when changes needed to be made in the music ministry, and I knew it would take some dedication and work to make it happen. And um, um, I remember telling my wife, Beth, this, this would be a job for a, a, a worship pastor, and we don't got one. Uh, so, um, and of all the years serving, there's never been one. And uh, there's no way Xavier was ever going to bring a worship pastor on staff. <laughs> right? So wrong again so uh so i said well who's going to do it you know this has to happen the the whole the whole way it was working it wasn't working there was a lot of division there was a lot of competition there was there was some jealousy there was bickering and the ministry shouldn't be run that way it needed to be united it needed to be in unity and in peace and who's going to make the changes that need to be made and I knew it was going to take some work. 
Well, it was November 2012. I prayed, and I moved ahead with all the changes, started to dedicate all the time necessary for the task, and the Lord started to bless it. It was amazing to me. Some of you saw it happen. Uh, That was a turning point for me. I said, Lord, if you would have me to do this work, I'm here. Um, It's kind of funny because I said, Lord, I know it's not going to happen here in Pasadena. Because right, I know Xavier's never going to put a worship leader on staff. Forget it. But, okay, if that's what you would have me to do, Lord, then uh, I'll do it. i got to move somewhere else. I have a house here in Pasadena. I just, I'm just going to have to sell it. Talked to my wife, Beth, and we were in agreement. And it's like, wherever God is going to have us go, I'm going to make myself available for the work of the Lord. Uh, this desire was in my heart. Desire to lead worship, desire ministry, and uh, desire to serve the Lord. Um, so, I don't know how it was going to happen. I don't know what was going to happen. On May 20th, 2013, I got laid off. September 3rd was the first day I went to the School of Worship in Costa Mesa. A year later from my layoff, on May 30th, almost to the day, Xavier asked me to come on staff here at Pasadena. Amazing. What was impossible became possible. But this is not about me. This is about taking care and loving God's people. So God made it happen, not for me, but because something needed to happen in the ministry that was important to him. And it became important to me. And he said, I could use that guy. He has something in his heart. And that's who Nehemiah was. The work that Nehemiah does here is a clear example of ministry for us. His heart is God's heart. His vision is God's vision. His position, first as a cupbearer and then as a governor, is God's appointed position for this man. Now, before we turn to the Old Testament, let's look briefly at the New. Here we see a description of Nehemiah. Kind of. Description about him in the New Testament. This is Paul writing to the Ephesians. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, this is Paul, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When I think of bond, I think bondo, I think uh, glue. And the unity of the Spirit is the glue of peace. Keeps it together. And so we see that in Nehemiah. In the book of Nehemiah, we see God's power and we see God's vision.
to use a man with the right heart, God's heart, to use a man who can catch the vision, God's vision, in order to get the job done and the Lord be glorified. And why didn't God just, you know, snap his fingers and make it happen, right? It's a good question, and I always seem to find myself asking that question. You know, people get sick, and we're, you know, we, we, we pray a lot for people who are sick, and every day here in the office, and people with cancers and different illnesses. And I said, why doesn't God just snap his fingers and make it happen? And they're good questions, and we could ask that question. When God uses everyday, normal people like us, it's clear, it's clearly the work of God. He is glorified. And um, I knew these pastors before I came on staff. And uh, oh, I thought I knew them. Well, I know them now. And um, they are normal kind of people. And there were some ideas I had in my head about Xavier and about, you know, Fernando and Diego and all these guys, Henry and Tony. And, and, and you know, maybe they didn't walk you know, maybe they floated on the ground or something. I don't know. There were they were somebody something different about them, but they're not. I, I I've come to know them a lot better, and and they're just like you and me. Normal people, doing the work of God and God being glorified. All right. So who is Nehemiah? His name means Jehovah consoles. Consoles mean comfort. Like when you comfort someone at a time of grief or disappointment. Like an old friend with an arm around, around you saying very little except maybe I'm here for you, buddy. Nehemiah. God comforts in our grief. In chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, he's a son. He's a brother, a person placed in a position of importance. Something about him made him trustworthy. Something about him gave him responsibility. Someone with those type of qualifications tend to lend itself to being a mentor or a teacher, a leader for sure. That's Nehemiah. In verse 2, with Hanani, his brethren, when they came from Judah, Nehemiah was called to be a godly leader. And we know this because we get a glimpse of his heart because he's asking about the people, God's people. He's concerned. The Lord sees this and he hears this. God sees this concern that comes from Nehemiah. For me, um, as a father, when I hang out with people who speak well of my children and are concerned for them and encourage them and speak well of them, Hey, I'm that person's new best friend. That makes me smile. This guy's, you know, talking and loving on my kids here. It's great. And this is what Nehemiah is doing here. God, our father, he's a dad. And when we're concerned for God's children and we love them sincerely, we serve them, like some of you do here, you serve here, you're putting a smile on God's face. When you pour out love and concern for God's people, Isn't that called pleasing God? Isn't that called ministry? Nehemiah was a godly leader. 
because he was in, he was also a prayer warrior. And I know uh, some of you ladies were here for a uh, ladies uh, their uh, women's study, and Karen talked to, at length about uh, Nehemiah being a prayer warrior, man of prayer. Verses five through eleven, the remainder of chapter one, he is praying the whole time. Let's read this prayer together. Uh, We go into, we read verse 2, verse 3. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Verse 4. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So see, this really, this really hit his heart. Verse 5, And I said, I pray. That's where he starts praying. I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the furthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power. And by your strong hand, O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day. I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. It's really interesting because he is telling, he is writing this kind of directing it to us, kind of talking to us. He's saying, this is my prayer. And he kind of reminds me of Moses. He even mentions Moses here. He's, he's asking for forgiveness of the sins of his people, not even for himself. I mean, and for himself, but for the people as well. A heart for them. When we get to chapter 2, it says it came to pass in the month of Nisan. That's months later. He's praying this for months. In, in chapter 1, we read that it's the month of Chislev, which is an autumn month. It could be uh, November or December. But the month of Nisan, for us, would mean uh, March or April. So four months go by, and this man is praying for four months, fasting and praying and mourning 
So he's really pouring it out. He's showing God, look at this is my heart. So chapter 2. Well, before we go to chapter 2, let me finish what I'm saying here. He's, uh, he goes even further to ask to grant favor in the sight of the king. That's right before we start chapter 2. He says, uh, you know, maybe I could find some favor. He's kind of conjuring up a plan here. Because I'm the king's cupbearer, by the way, he says. You know, oh, by the way, I'm the king's cupbearer. So he sees, okay, wait a minute, I have a really good opportunity here because I have this position that has been given to me. And God, you could use that. Help me find favor. And so he starts praying. He's got a little plan going on. So he's a man of action. He's not just going to sit there and pray and pray and pray and not do anything. There's going to come a time when it's time to act. It's time to do something about it. You can't just sit there. Okay, you could pray and pray and and please do. But there's going to come a time when you know and you'll know it's time to act. I got to do something. I was praying and praying for months for the music ministry because some changes needed to be made. And um, I was sitting one day because even though we were rotating and I was listening to worship and I was, you know, just... When you're a musician, you end up looking at, like, their guitar changes. You're kind of analyzing what's going on. And, and so you got to, okay, now you got to stop that and just apply yourself to the worship and just worship the Lord. And um, <clears throat> I was doing that. And then something, uh, something happened with somebody up here, and it was such a distraction. Everyone in the church kind of was doing this because they were worshiping. And went, what? What was that? And it, it was, it was the catalyst. It was the it was the straw that that broke the camel's back for me. I said, I gotta stop praying and I gotta do something. Something's got to happen right now, because this is not good. And so things like that begin to happen. You pray and you pray, but you gotta plan. And already Nehemiah right here, he's planning something. So now we go into chapter two. The miracle begins after four months of praying. He decides. Now is the time. Eastern monarchs, being in daily dread of poison, any appearance of agitation in the cupbearer's face would be regarded as especially suspicious. The guy could lose his head. I'm, you know, you're, you're right by the throne. You're sitting there with the king. You're trusted. You're a trusted employee, so to speak. And you have guards on either side with big swords. And you're the cupbearer. And you're bringing the wine that could be poisoned, so you better drink it. And then you come to the cup, to the king, to hand him the cup, and you have this weird face that's not happy. It's sad, like I just drank poison and I'm handing it to you. It's not good. So he took a big risk here. So chapter 2, verse... One And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before, because he would be dead. Okay. Therefore, the king said to me, 
Why is your face sad? Since you're not sick, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. And then the truth comes out. He kind of speaks to us again in narrative. So I became dreadfully afraid. He knew it was going to happen. And so it came to pass after four months of praying, he said, you know what, I, I can't pretend anymore to put on this happy face in front of the king. I am sad and I am mourning and I am praying for my people. If he kills me, he kills me. It run me through. But I'm not going to pretend and put on this face anymore. I'm just going to go up there and I'm going to give him this, give him his wine. And Lord, my life's in your hands. Do what you will with me. And so he became dreadfully afraid. Verse 3, and said to the king. So the king's asking. So he said to the king. May the king live forever. Good words to say when you're handing him something he thinks it might be poison. May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Hmm. Verse 4. Then the king said to me, what do you request? Wow. He thought a sword was going to come at him. What do you request? So what does he do? He prays. So I prayed. So I prayed to the God of heaven. And, you know, this is not a big, long four-month prayer. This is just a big, oh, Lord, be with me. And how many times do we, we do those prayers? Maybe there's a car coming at you and your brakes... You're, you're trying to stop me. You're like, Lord, help me. Or maybe you're, uh, you know, maybe you're 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 at risk, and someone you're, you feel like you're in danger, and say, God, be with me, help me. Or maybe you're going to come up here and do a Bible study and say, oh, Lord, help me. <clears throat> so it was a little quick prayer, but he's a man of prayer, and that's what we, that's what we got to do. We got to pray. Just lift up a quick prayer. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Recognize God first in chapter 5. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. He's, he's humble before this king. Verse 6. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him. How long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me. And I set him a time. I think it's interesting that he says, he has to mention that the queen was there. What does that mean? I don't know. He just, the queen was there. I don't know. Sometimes um, if you go to your dad and you say, you know what, dad, I, I need... 20 bucks, but mom is there and um, she's the softy. You're going to go in there together, right? Or, or maybe it's the other way around, you know, where maybe you need to borrow the, the car and, you know, uh, mom's going to say, no way. And dad's like, eh, let them. You, you kind of go with them together. So maybe the king had a softer heart 
when his wife was there, when the queen was there. And so it was, it was a perfect opportunity. Anyway, he thought it important to mention that to us. Very normal situation. He's very practical. And so it pleased the king to send him. The, the king liked this guy. He says, yeah, I'll, I'll go. Do it. Verse 7. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel which pertains to the temple for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. See, he already had it all planned out, didn't he? he goes, well, okay, well, now that you are mentioning it, now that you mention it, I do need a couple of things. Uh, and this was all in his mind. And he had been praying all this. This was all worked out. So he had the plan. He went to God in prayer first. And then the plan was worked out in his mind and took it to the Lord, took his plan to the Lord. And then right before it was executed, more prayer to the Lord. And God blessed his request. He knew what he needed. He knew what he needed to get by these people who are going to be in his way. He knew what he needed for materials. He didn't have any money. He was a servant in the king's palace. So he needed these letters. Verse 8, the end of verse 8. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. He didn't say it was because he liked me so much or, you know what, I've always been a loyal servant to you. I've never poisoned you. I'm a good guy. He said, no, it was, it was God's hand. It was God who did all this. God is doing it. When we see things happening here at church, it's God doing it. I know you see... You know, you see us up here, you see me leading worship, you see other people leading worship, you see other people doing Bible studies, you see, you see the people doing things. Like uh, we saw a video today, uh, um, they were feeding uh, people with these turkey baskets for Thanksgiving, and you saw the video, how they did it all. And it was God's hand that did that. God is supplying the need for all that food, for the baskets, for the people and their energy to do all that, to put it all together. It was a, a big task. But God did that. And although we see others doing it, God is using normal people like me, like you, to do something awesome. According to the good hand of my God upon me. Verse 9, then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. The king liked this guy. He didn't want to see this guy get killed. I mean, you're just going to send this guy with letters. You have other governors in these regions. They're just going to, you know, throw this guy in a, a deep well or something, you know. <clears throat> but... So the king knew that, and, and he didn't even ask for that. The king gave him that. 
I better send an army with you. I know these guys. They're little tricksters. I'm going to make sure you get there safely with these letters that I'm giving to you. He's protecting him. And God saw beyond Nehemiah's plan. He says, well, you're also going to need some protection. And so the Lord touches the king's heart and gives him captains of his army. Now, verse 10, we see something kind of interesting because in ministry, this is going to happen to us too. Verse 10, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. He's, he's, the, these guys are they're angry. They're deeply distressed. They're anti-Semitic. They, they, they rather would uh, you know, see anyone uh, prosper, but not, not Jews, not the children of Israel. These guys throughout this book are just a pain in his side, this guy Nehemiah. They're constantly against him. They're conjuring up things, making things up, trying to destroy what God has clearly had planned for his people. And you're going to see this in ministry all the time. And it's proof. It's proof that God is going to do a work. And in all of this, Nehemiah acknowledges the good hand of God upon me. So in verse 11 through 20, we see how to, be, how to begin the work. We see here Nehemiah is a man, very well organized. Reminds me of my wife. How to begin. She's really organized. Um, how to begin the reconstruction. Set it all in motion. He knows that by keeping it a secret, he surveys the walls and he will have the opportunity to have the Lord speak to him in a practical way about the work without others' opinions about the others, uh, of opinions of others who the Lord may or may not be using for this task. If you go uh, verse 11 all the way through 20, he takes by himself uh, like a horse or a, a donkey or something, and he goes riding around the city because he's never been there before, and he's only heard about the destruction of the walls and everything. So when he gets there, he waits three days, and then he takes a tour, a little personal tour at midnight, a little journey, and he goes around, and he's, he's, he reports how bad it is, and, and he sees for himself with his own eyes what has happened to Jerusalem. And he doesn't tell anybody. He keeps it a big secret. He goes at night so they don't see him. You know when the boss shows up and your desk is a mess and you just say, oh, here's the boss, and you clean your things up. You go, oh, well, watch out, everything's, everything's good. You know, no, he wants to come in and just see for himself. Don't give anyone an opportunity to clean things up. I want to see what this is really like for myself. And he's going to go, you know he is, he's going to go before the Lord. Now, if he had gone with this whole entourage of people, <clears throat> a governor, uh, uh, 
uh, nobles of the city, they would have been, oh, well, we could do this and we could do that and it would be better if you do it that way or it would be good if you do it like this instead of like that. And you get all these ideas, all these things getting jumped into your head that may or may not belong there because God has chosen you to do the job. He's chosen you to do the task. He wants to use your brain and your heart because he chose you. And he knows you have the heart that he is providing, that he has. And that you're going after that heart of God. He doesn't want all these opinions coming in and then, and then you don't know where to go. And, and I'm like that. I, I, just, I get a lot of opinions and, and I, I kind of uh, sit back to, to stronger personalities. And I just, I, I just, you know, I'll just take a back seat. Um, but God wants to use you for what is in your heart and you do it. Don't go looking out for the whole entourage of opinions and to get different things, how you should do it like this, you do it like that. You be the one to say, God, I'm going to do it like this and then show me how to do it and have God show you. Okay, so uh, let me uh, do a little flashback here. We went through some uh, changes. I was talking about the music ministry. And about a year and a half ago, it was very clear to me about some of the changes that needed to be uh, to take place, um, changes that were going to be disappointing to some people, and I knew it. But I couldn't start by telling them my plans. And have it all agreed upon in a committee or bogged down in arguments with them. <clears throat> it just had to be done. And I was in prayer about it for some time, like I said, until I knew it was clear to me. I had to, I had to do something. I couldn't wait any longer. And I think as you go yourself into ministry and there's something that you want to do, you pray and pray. Until you know, you, you know, I can't, I can't wait any longer. I, I'm going to have to do something now. And then pray for the Lord to bless it. Verse 17 through 20, Nehemiah, he's encouraging. Nehemiah tells them what needs to be done. Because he took a tour, he knows what needs to be done. Nehemiah tells them the words of the king. Which is a miracle right there. So he encouraged them, look at what God has done, right? And then he tells them how the hand of the Lord had been with him. I'm sure he shared with them, the king was going to kill me, I'm sure of it. Or these governors would have killed me if they, they saw me walking down with these letters, but he sent an army to accompany me. God was doing this, and it was clear to him, and he's encouraging the people in verse 17 to 20. Look what God has done. And look what needs to be done. As a leader, he wasn't waiting for other people's opinion. He went and looked for himself and he said, this is what needs to be done. In verse 19. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? 
Will you rebel against the king? As a result, the Jews were so excited to get started. They're ready to begin. They got excited to see the hand of God and his work. They're ready to get started. But so the enemy is also ready. This is clear. This is a clear example to us. When the Lord's work has some momentum and the people are being blessed, Satan will try to stop it. He's going to try to tear it apart. He doesn't want all of you to be blessed here. We walk out of here every Sunday, every Tuesday, every Thursday, and we're blessed with God's word, the teaching that Xavier does, and uh, teachings, teachers on Tuesday nights, various teachers. Uh, it is such a blessing. The fellowship, you guys, I see how you care for one another, how you pray for one another. In the music ministry, we're helping each other out. We're learning new ways to play things. And we're learning from each other, those who are stronger musicians. And they're learning from the other ones. And we're, we're all learning from each other. And God is going to bless it. And he is blessing it. And it's amazing for me to see, to sit and watch it all happen. But Satan will try to stop it. He's going to try to tear it apart. You know, the last thing the enemy wants are all these happy, blessed Christians walking out of this building and blessing others or bringing them to church or even, you know, stopping the little sins that we have in our lives and we, we cut them out because cause God is so good. You know, put, put him out of work, that guy, the devil. Stop him. In verse 20. So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. He goes, you go ahead, make fun of us all you want. We will inherit this. This is going to be an inheritance for our families. You're not, we're not even going to remember you. We're going to have the right to be here. And you're going to be kicked out. Nehemiah is not intimidated by the enemy. I mean, look at what he's, he's seen so far. The God of heaven had promised success. The people were united, which is necessary if God is going to bless and go move forward in this in this endeavor, in this work. They were united. They were together. They got excited and they were ready to go. Psalm 133.1 tells us, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Being together in unity. Man, that's so important for us, especially in ministry. To be together, united for the common goal. For me in ministry, the common goal was worship and worshiping the Lord. And what was happening, what I was seeing before was division, was uh, competition. Uh, I saw people, not only were they calling like they still do today, but calling about 
whether what time the study starts because they don't want to sing. But people were waiting out back saying, you know, when are they going to be done? When are they going to be done? I don't like them. Or I don't like their music. And, and that was not good. That was not good. And as, a, as leader of the worship ministry, I knew this was happening and I'm going, I, I'm failing. I'm failing. The, this needs to come together in unity. And so we see that it is a pleasant thing for the brothers to dwell together in unity, for us as brothers and sisters in Christ to serve together, to be here even in this room together is awesome. Um, I'm going to just uh, kind of summarize now. I'm getting close to the end here. Verse uh, Chapter 3, we, we get a long list of workers and their work and what they did. In Chapter 4, there's external hindrances that begin. This, our favorite uh, enemy here, Samballot and uh, the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, they were angry about Nehemiah coming concerned for the Jews. We see in chapter 4, Satan starts to use mockery to discourage. First, they they laugh at him and say, what are you doing? You're trying to discourage them. And that's always going to be first. And then the the mockery is going to start. And they're going to laugh at you. Why are you going to church every Sunday night? Why do you go to church? And they they mock you. Oh, you you must be really bad you go to church every Sunday. Oh, you must be even... Worse than me, you go to church in the middle of the week. You know they're gonna they're gonna mock you and discourage you. They're gonna ridicule you, and the enemy will always try to do that. And you know why the enemy does that? Because it works. <laughs> we get discouraged. We don't want to go. You know our our friends at work are like, all right, I'll stay at work because so and so is gonna make fun of me. It worked. The ridicule. Discourages, and the enemy knows what works. That's why he does it. In chapter four, verse four, Nehemiah, he met their mockery, but with prayer. In verse eight, the enemy begins to attack, physical attack. Now it's getting heavy, and uh, it's answered again with prayer. And they they actually start uh, continuing to build a wall with weapons. So they got shovels in one hand, they got a sword on the other. And they have guys keeping guard. They're going to keep going, but they're going to, they're going to be practical about it. They're not going to just say, okay, Lord, protect us. They're going to say, no, I'll protect us, Lord, but I got my sword right here. Yeah, and they're ready. Verse 9, pray, but do, do your part. They set watch. In verse 10, the discouragement is now being used to stop the work of God. And it's really interesting. Uh, I, I like what Chuck Smith said. He said, the enemy always seems to have a whole bag of tricks. It does. Verse 14, we see that uh, he says, remember the Lord. Nehemiah turns to the people and he says, remember the Lord. Don't be afraid. God put us here. Remember what, what has happened. And it's, it's something for us to always remember, too. Remember the Lord. When you're serving in ministry and you're so tired, you just don't want to be there. Remember the Lord, what he did. 
Don't be afraid. In verse 15, we see God made sure their plans came to nothing. They were making plans, the enemy, but it, it didn't amount to anything. He scattered their brains, a bunch of scatterbrains. In verse uh, 18 through 23, the people keep working with a weapon on their side. They don't even have time to change their clothes except to wash them. They don't even go get new clothes. They wash them, put them back on, and get back in there to to finish the wall. They're so excited to do the work. In chapter 5, we see the trouble. That trouble comes and starts from within. So I'm going to jump over to chapter 12. If you would jump over to chapter 12 with me. There's a lot to this book, and it's just so amazing to me. We're coming close to the end of our time, so I just want to jump to my favorite chapter here because we see that Nehemiah was a worship leader. We see that he, um, he begins, begins to organize. After the walls are complete, he wants to worship God. And we see here great sacrifices were offered. With loud rejoicing, the priests and the Levites performed their duties of worship and purification. The singers and the gatekeepers also carried on their assigned tasks that for the singers, they had some pride there because they had, there were singers that uh, this office was established back to the time of David and Asaph. So they were so happy to be established again. Here we are, we get, to, we get our office back, but we get, to, we get to sing again. And it's just so awesome that God would choose us as a church body to worship together. You know, I get excited, you know, because I love to sing. I get emotional about it. But... Um, when we come together and we have these moments where we're worshiping the Lord, I'm just like, oh, this is so awesome. We get this time of worshiping God. And here we have a little picture, a little moment of what it's going to be like when we get before the Lord, when we get to heaven. The Bible tells us in Revelations we're going to be worshiping God. We're going to fall at his feet and worship him. This is just a little taste of what it's going to be like. And if you think that moment was awesome when there was time of worship and the spirit was moving. And it was like God knew everything you were going through. And, and he, he said, you're going to be all right. And these moments were just God was so good. And it, you know he forgave you for your sin. And that you're cleansed. I mean, this is just a small, tiny little picture of what it's going to be like in heaven. Nehemiah was one who would not settle for anything less but what the Lord would have. God's will for Jerusalem. God's perfect will for his people. And we can be like this. We don't have to settle for compromise in our walk with the Lord. Compromise in our our Christian lives, in our our, um, ministries, whatever we do. Remember um, in 2 Kings, Elisha, he wouldn't give up. Elijah was going to leave. He was, God told him a chariot was going to come and pick him up. 
And Elisha was like, no, don't go, don't go. And Elijah said, you can't stop me, I'm going. You know, he wants to be with the Lord. And he, what did he say? He said, give me a double portion of what you have. You know, he goes, let me, let me do the work. Let me continue to do the work. And, and Elijah turns to him and goes, you don't, what you're asking is a big deal. You want a double portion of what I have? Well, okay, if the Lord gives it to you and you see me fly off in this chariot, um, then you got it. And uh, Elisha just wouldn't get, he, he kept saying, okay, but uh, you need to stay right here. And Elijah wouldn't stay right here. He kept following him. He kept following him. But that was his heart, that he wanted to continue the work that Elijah was doing. He wasn't going to give up. He wanted to pick up where his master had left off and continue. And how about us? Um, you know, we had, uh, I think it's two years ago now that, Pastor Chuck passed away. And uh, are we going to pick up where he left off? Are we excited about the work that he did? All these Calvary chapels all over the world now. And the way he established this study through the word, it was, it was new. It was a vision. God had used him. Are we going to pick up where Pastor Chuck left off? How about more um, home for us? You know, Xavier, we love him. Um, we're all getting older. Are we going to pick up where Xavier leaves off? Is this church going to continue? You know, I may not be here. No one is, is promised tomorrow. You know, so are we going to continue the work? The work, of, uh, the work of building the wall was a work of God. And even the enemies of God, they knew it. In the end, does Nehemiah ask for anything like riches and to be the king or something? No. He asks only to be remembered for the good that he accomplished for the work of the Lord. You see that um, he says it many times. One of them, Nehemiah thirteen fourteen. You could read it there. Just remember me, God, for this thing that I did. You know, we're all sinners, and we don't want God to remember our sin. Those regrets, those things that we did. Oh Lord, don't remember those things. But you know what's awesome about God is that. Um, we, we're not God, so we can't forget. It's hard for us to forget, especially traumatic things in our lives. We can't forget them. Hurt and pain, sin. It, if we remember, it's all there. But God says, I'll forget it. I will forget it. We're like, oh, praise God. He will forget. He is a God who could make himself forget my sin. And I'm the one bringing it up all the time. And he's like, I forgot about that. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Another quote from Redpath was, Your service is your ministry. It's your testimony for him. As the worship team comes back up, I think we're going to do one more song. But um, I want to encourage you to serve in ministry and 
Find out what it is that God would have you do. You know, when you're serving God's people, you're, you love his kids. The things you're doing all the time and the energy that you put, it's not, it's not for anything but the Lord because you're doing it for his kids, his children. Right? That's what ministry is all about, the people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the teaching, Lord, and just uh, for this, this man, Nehemiah, that shows us, Lord, how to just rely and trust in you. Father, to serve you and to, to wait upon you as we go to you in prayer. Lord, we pray that you would light that spark in our hearts, Lord, that's there to, to serve and to get involved. And Lord, that you would continue to do a work in our lives, each of us, individually. You know, you know us so well, Lord. You know what we're going through. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue, Lord, to change us, to make us new, that we rely on you, God. If there's anyone here who has never made a commitment to Christ, you could do that right now where you're sitting and pray this prayer. Lord, forgive me. Make me new. I accept you into my heart. In Jesus' name.